everyone. Welcome to Antibodies. This is our 26th body sode, a segment where we discuss research papers with the first or last authors of the article. Joining me today are my lovely co-hosts. First, Eugenio from Autonomous University of Mexico. Hello, it's nice to be back. And Natalie Graham from City of Hope Comprehensive Cancer Center. Hello, everyone. How are you guys doing? So excited. So happy. Yes, very excited. <laughs> yes, the article we're discussing today is published by a group from Yale Cancer Center at Yale University. The paper is titled Phase Separation in Immune Signaling, published in Nature Reviews Immunology, uh, July 2021. There are three authors in the article, Chen Shao, Kira Mekati, and Shaolei Su, who is also the corresponding author of this article. Uh, welcome to podcast, everyone. Hi, thank you so much for Hi. having us. Thank you for having thank us. You. It's really nice to join. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a pleasure of ours. Uh, first of all, I'll be very honest in saying that your paper was one of the first introductions to phase separation for me, at least. So it was just a lot of learning experience for me. Um, Eugenio, can you tell us something about our guest today? Sure. So as you mentioned, today we have the honor of having three of the authors with us, Dr. Xiao Lei Su, who is a faculty in the Department of Cell Biology at Yale University. Dr. Su obtained his bachelor's degree at Peking University. As a graduate student at Harvard, he revealed a mechanism of microtubule length regulation by canising eight motors under the mentorship of Dr. David Talman. Then he joined Ron Bell's lab at UCSF as a postdoc fellow. His work led to the discovery that phase separation of membrane-associated proteins can promote T-cell activation. As an assistant professor at Yale, Dr. Su is leading a team to explore membrane remodeling and signal transduction during immune responses. They combine in vitro reconstitution with live cell imaging to understand how biomolecular condensates regulate immune signaling. Our second guest today is Dr. Chen Xiao, who used to be a research associate in Dr. Su's lab and is now an assistant professor at Rogers Cancer Institute of New Jersey. Dr. Xiao obtained her PhD in biochemistry and molecular biology from Shanghai Institute of Biochemistry and Cell Biology in the Chinese Academic Academy of Science in China. She's interested in the molecular mechanism of chimeric antigen receptor triggered T-cell activation in developing new tools for improving T-cell based, T -cell -based cancer, cancer immunotherapy. Finally, we have with us, we have with us uh, Kira Makute, who's currently a second year PhD student in the Yale program. Kira received her bachelor's at the University of Pittsburgh and she has been very interested in phase separation and did a rotation with Dr. Sulath this year. I have, I have something. Uh, let's start with Kira. Uh, how did you get interested in choosing uh, your research as uh, your focus in a career? Um, you mean just like in general with biology? Yeah, it's in general. Oh, gosh. Um... So I grew up in a family of biologists. My mom was a nurse and my sister also has her PhD in biochemistry. And so it was sort of ingrained on me from a young age. Um, and I was just super fascinated by it as a kid and wanted to pursue it growing up. Okay. Uh, Chen, can you tell us something about how life experiences helped you get into this field? 
Yeah, so when I was at college, I was a, a medical student. So I have been in the hospital for one year and see how the doctor treats the patient. So by that time, I realized if we can figure out the de detailed mechanism for the disease, maybe we can find a better solution for the patient. So that's why I did the transition when I applied for the graduate student school. So I wanted to know the basic uh, biology for those cancers. Okay. And Shalof? So the reason I choose um, uh, my initial research uh, actually uh, for, for cell biology and uh, uh, molecular motors, so that's actually my PhD thesis project, is because of my uh, love for trains. So I think starting from very young age, I like to take these, especially long distance trains like which you spend like uh, 24 hours or 48 hours on the train and with a sleeping class. And because my grandma at that time was like uh, living in a city, which is like uh, about 1,000 miles away from my, my home. So every summer we, we took a like a long train trip to visit them. So, so I really get like uh, fascinated about the, the locomotives and about these different carriages. And then uh, and in, in my college class, when I took the cell biology course, uh, 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 I was really excited to find out actually inside the cells, there are also uh, molecular trains, basically these uh, kinesin and the dining motors that work along microtubules. So that's actually how I, I get really interested in, in cell biology and in the cytoskeleton. And that's how I actually uh, started uh, uh, graduate school at Harvard and uh, work with David Palman on how uh, motors regulate uh, hey. microtubule dynamics. Thanks a lot for the introduction and very good stories for everybody. Natalie, do you have something for us? Uh, yeah, uh, I have our joke today about phase separation. Are you guys ready? I am ready. Never been okay. more ready uh, than this. <laughs> What do you, what is another term for a group of graduate students? What? What is it? It's a stress granule, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Natalie, I hate to spoil the joke for you, but is it because it's a lot of stress concentrated in a single place? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. And we just I'm kind of group together, <laughs> you know. Uh, there's definitely a grosser joke about Peabody's, but I'm not going to tell it. So um, yeah, let's, <laughs> let's move on. Okay, before we talk about the paper itself, let's just get clarified with certain terminology. And my first one, I'll direct it to uh, Shaolay. Can you tell us what is liquid-liquid phase separation? So uh, actually, liquid-liquid uh, phase separation is a, a terminology we probably uh, get to know in our physical chemistry class in college. Uh, uh, for example, uh, if we mix the water with oil and uh, shake it really vigorously and uh, place it uh, on the table for a while, then you will see actually two layers. So the water is in the bottom layer while the, the oil is in the top layer. So, so this is, I think, a, a very simple case of uh, a liquid-liquid phase separation. 
so the, the, the LLPS or liquid-liquid phase separation uh, we refer to specifically in this context is actually uh, occurring uh, inside the cells because uh, uh, in the side cells, there's a lot of biomolecules, including proteins, RNAs, uh, sugars, and lipids. So they can also undergo uh, this liquid-liquid uh, phase separation process uh, to form a, a condensed phase where you have like enriched molecules and a surrounding dilute phase uh, where molecules are, are relatively uh, free uh, uh, in, in, in okay. a diffusive state. The next term we want to talk about is stress granule. And not, apart from graduate students, what else do we understand about stress granules? Um, I think the stress granule uh, is actually a, a very classical or heavily studied examples uh, 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 historically actually uh, in, you can tell like in the cells, joint cell experience the stress conditions. So they, they form these like uh, granule-like structures, uh, which is uh, actually highly uh, enriched of uh, mRNA. And the idea is uh, when the cells are under stress, uh, they are trying to uh, shut down the uh, translation. And so to save the energy for essential uh, uh, cellular process. So that's why they actually like store these mRNA in these granules. And uh, uh, once the cell gets recovered, so for example, like they get back to normal nutrition states or oxygen state, then these uh, mRNA can be actually quickly released so that the cell can uh, get uh, uh, recovered to the healthy state uh, in, a, in, a, in a swift manner. So stress granule was uh, uh, traditionally like studied as uh, you can think about it's a protective uh, compartment uh, uh, to like store these mRNA during stress. And the reason it is uh, heavily studied in phase separation is uh, actually, uh, the mechanism to form stress granule has been discovered uh, to be uh, uh, through this liquid-liquid uh, phase, phase separation uh, uh, through uh, interaction okay. between uh, proteins and RNAs. And the third term, and the last term for our terminology section would be cellular condensate. Yeah, I, I think the uh, this condensate terminology is, I would say, a, a more broader terminology to describe uh, any structures that is uh, uh, concentrated with uh, some specific molecules. Uh, it can be proteins, RNAs, or lipids. Um, and uh, um, so uh, the reason we, we, we talk about cellular condensate uh, as compared to, let's say, a phase-separated domain is because uh, in a lot of cases, uh, when we see, let's say, uh, a, a puncture, a green puncture inside the cells, and uh, we are not very sure at the first case that this is like formed through phase separation. Uh, so I, I think, so that's why we, we can generally call these like cellular condensates, and, uh, uh, but not all the condensates are formed 
through the, the liquid-liquid phase separation because condensates can also form through other mechanisms. So okay. I, I would say this is a more like a descriptive like terminology, uh, whereas phase separation, I think there is like a specific like a physical mechanism uh, uh, to, to define actually uh, what is a phase separation. Okay, thanks a lot for the explanation. And with that, we can dive into the introduction of the paper. Let me tell you all what the paper is about. The article explores an intriguing and novel aspect of cell signaling called phase separation. It so happens that when cells receive signals, let's say from a growth factor, the intercellular signaling molecules can form concentrated clusters as they mobilize in the cytosol or even on the plasma membrane. This clustering results in the formation of two distinct phases inside the cell based on the concentration or, and organization of solutes. One is going to be the condensed phase and the other one is going to be a dilute phase. These two phases are a part of the liquid-liquid phase separation since the inside of the cell is mostly fluidic. The condensed and the dilute phases are not static as molecules are constantly exchanged between them. A peculiar thing that happens to the condensed phase, that is the highly concentrated phase, is that its biomolecules can sometimes become so cross-linked that it starts to turn into a gel-like solid state. Since these condensates are formed through multiple interactions, we can even observe a spectrum of intermediate states between this liquid condensed state and the highly cross-linked gel-like solid state. Some of these abnormal or irregular transition of condensates to a solid state is associated with certain neurodegenerative diseases. For example, TDP43 condensates can be found in the patients of ALS or amylotropic uh, lateral sclerosis and FUS or fused in sarcoma condensates are seen in frontotemporal lobal degeneration. Uh, this question is for Shaolei. If I understand this correctly, liquid-liquid phase separation is a normal phenomenon, but liquid-solid phase separation is not, because in the solid phase, the molecules are so heavily cross-linked that they lose their flexibility and eventually the signaling ability as they are stuck in this tightly packed cluster. They also become a giant cellular mass in the cytosol, which could impede other cellular activities. So this is what I understood. Is that a correct description? Yeah, I think you, you raised many interesting aspects on the difference between liquid and solid condensates. Uh, um, so for example, uh, the, the level of cross-linking and uh, mobility, uh, their interactions with other cellular components and the corresponding functional outcomes. Um, I think the, the studies from fused protein uh, suggested a liquid phase uh, is physiological, whereas a solid phase could be related to uh, some neuron degenerative diseases. And uh, uh, these are actually usually occurring uh, when uh, uh, we have a, a disease-related mu mutation uh, on the fuse protein. So uh, I think in contrast to fuse, uh, the liquid uh, uh, to solid transition uh, has not been uh, quite explored uh, in the immune signaling uh, because I think uh, uh, we are still at an early stage uh, 
uh, this also means there are a lot of opportunities uh, for future studies. Okay, so we talk about immunology specifically, liquid-liquid phase separation or LLPS has been characterized in a number of pathways like the T-cell receptor, B-cell receptor, NF-kappa-B, and several more pathways. This process of LLPS is better documented in other fields like stress response, but not so much in the context of immune signaling. We are going to talk about some of these pathways later in the episode today. Another thing I want to confirm here, let's take an example of TCR signaling. When the LIC kinase, which is downstream of uh, CD3 chains, when it passes the signal, we eventually have this consortium of signaling molecules that attach to adapter proteins, let's say LAT in case of T cells, and what eventually becomes a signalosome by when a lot of proteins interact with this adapter LAT. Is that an example of condensed liquid phase? Yes, uh, actually, uh, I think the, the LAT condensate is a, a very good example of a liquid condensate. Um, so the lead condensate is composed of uh, more than 20 components uh, which play various roles in T-cell activation. So even in the same cell, individual lead condensates have different compositions. And depend, depend, that actually depends on the maturation stage and the location uh, of the condensate. So from a physical perspective, uh, lead is also a very interesting molecule um, because it is uh, unstructured uh, without any folded domain, uh, which I think is perfect to be uh, a core component uh, uh, in this liquid condensate. And the interaction of that with other uh, uh, binding partners uh, depends on phosphorylation on that, uh, which is triggered uh, after the TCR peptide MHC engagement. Um, so therefore, the assembly of lead condensates uh, quickly follows TCR activation, and uh, uh, it actually uh, can serve as a perfect platform to transduce the activation of TCR signals uh, to the downstream multiple pathways. Okay. I want to rehash on one thing that you mentioned. You said even lead clusters within the same cell are not homogeneous. There'll be... Okay. Yeah. So, th so this... Uh, I'm going to raise a very weird point. I don't know if this is true or maybe if you have a speculation. Let's say, a, let's consider a cell is a spherical entity and uh, there's a cytokine signaling from left side, let's say left side. And there's a lot of LATs on the left side, but not a lot of LATs on the right side. Does that mean just by chance or by probability, whether the, cent, uh, the cytokine signals through a receptor on the left side or the right side, it can have a differing response? Well, you, you raised actually a very interesting question, which is whether there is any spatial information that can be received and processed uh, by these condensates. Because usually when we think about cytokine signaling, we'll, we'll assume like uh, the receptor all over the cell surface will equally like receive the signaling. But actually, in, in a lot of cases, even for these like soluble ligand, it's it's not like the case. Uh, as you said, like the, the distribution of these condensates could be like different depending on the polymerization of the of the cells. So uh, I, I think this is a, a really a, a, a great question, 
And uh, um, so to address this, uh, we will need like a really a high resolution uh, imaging technique uh, because I think that the intracellular signaling occurs in a very fast mode, like within seconds. So uh, uh, if we can like differentiate the, the spatial difference uh, 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 between the signaling on the on the uh, uh, one end of the cell uh, to the other end of the cell, and also correlate with uh, the condensate formation uh, in different regions of the cells, I think this will be a, a, a really uh, a reveal something really interesting uh, about the spatial regulation of signal transduction. Okay, thanks a lot for that. Uh, with that, let's dive into some specific terms and aspects of LLPS. Natalie, I'm going to hand over the mic to you. Uh, yeah, so when we're considering LLPS and kind of these condensates we've been talking about, uh, we can refer to them as either 3D phases or 2D phases. So 3D phase condensates are molecules interacting together within the cell, but they don't have a membrane about the, uh, around them. So it's almost like they're a sphere. Think of like a snowball or a bunch of snowflakes that are all interacting in a three-dimensional space, but really this only needs the interaction of other snowflakes to keep it together. It's not like it needs a membrane around it to keep it separate. This contracts, this contrasts an organelle, which is of course the same thing, a bunch of molecules interacting together, but it's inside a membrane and that is contained within a bubble apart from everything. If you think about TD, uh, 2D phase condensates, um, these are condensates that form at the cellular membrane. You could all also call these near 2D phase condensates because even though we live in a 3D world and they obviously still exist in three dimensions, we can think of them like a line or raft forming along the cellular membrane. The authors cite a preprint paper which they describe 2D phase condensates as wetted, like W-E-T-T-E-D. Um, they're like wetted three phases 3D phases on fluidic membranes, so that they are pretty similar to 3D phases, but cover the surface of the membrane with a low contact angle. So just imagine taking that sphere and, and smashing it with, you know, like a slide or something, so it's nice and flat against a membrane. You may think it's silly to define these terms, but 2D phases or clusters are actually pretty important in our understanding of membrane receptors, especially in immunology. So I, I've got a question for Kira. Uh, let's, let's take an example of when a B cell finds its ligands, sometimes those BCRs actually cluster to a focal point. Would you consider that a 2D phase separation since it takes place on the membrane surface? That's a good question. So we actually don't know whether uh, B cell receptors form clusters through liquid phase separation, but if they do, um, it would probably likely be 2D since it would be membrane associated. Um, and there's a lot of similarities between 2D and 3D phase separation. Uh, but as you were describing before, 2D or near 2D clusters refer to those found on membranes. Um, and they usually have this disc-like shape, while 3D condensates are not necessarily membrane associated. Cool. Um, I'm also curious about uh, some techniques that someone would use to study this process. So how could I look at these condensates within a cell and what's the context content of these condensates under different conditions? Yeah, so uh, there are a lot of tools that um, can be used to examine phase separation and each of uh, them can reveal different properties of liquid-liquid uh, phase separation. 
So one of the most common techniques is something called fluorescence recovery after photo bleaching or FRAP for short. And this is where you um, in vitro or in cells, you bleach a portion of uh, a condensate with a high power laser and that darkens that area. And then you measure the rate at which fluorescence returns to the bleach region. And this is indicative of uh, condensate diffusivity, uh, which is uh, an important characteristic of LLPS because oftentimes condensates are defined by uh, their mobility. So even though FRAP is uh, common and insightful, it also comes with its caveats, especially since, as we were talking about before, sometimes condensates harden over time and that could impede uh, fluorescence recovery. So although um, oftentimes we see FRAP being used as sort of the end-all, be-all of phase separation experiments, that should definitely come with a grain of salt. Um, there are other tools out there and that should be employed to verify or like describe uh, phase separation properties. Like for example, um, simply observing fusion and fission events in cells under normal microscopy, um, in vitro using optical tweezers to measure uh, surface tension, as well as atomic force microscopy that can give an idea of stiffness. And those are just a few uh, techniques that can be used. Purifying condensates is a little bit tricky, but um, cryo-electron tomography as well as NMR uh, have been used to get an idea of uh, condensate composition. And I expect that there's gonna be future developments in NMR uh, that will be useful for this. Um, so yeah, there's uh, even though there's no hard consensus on the parameters that define a phase-separated body, it's important not to just rely on FRAP and gather as much data through other means um, so that maybe one day we can eventually potentially reach more of a consensus. Great, thank you so much for that. Uh, I wanna go back to 3D phase separation a little bit and considering the membraneless organelles. I think a question I always had whenever we learned about some biological process as an undergrad was like, oh yeah, but like, where is this biological process happening? And how do all the molecules like know where to go? And my professor would mention, oh, you know, the mitochondria or the ER, but oftentimes it was like, oh, you know, somewhere in the cytoplasm, as if it was just some bowl of soup with no definite form or features. Uh, clearly, there must be groupings and structures that occur outside of formal organelles. Uh, think of a 3D phase condensate as a membraneless organelle. They're still important for cellular function and will form in response to stimuli, but they associate and dissociate quickly. So I have another question. Um, what is the advantage of having a membrane-free structure? Is it speed, location, transient nature? Have these structures ever developed into organelles evolutionarily? Well, actually, this is a question I'm going to raise for the students in my class. Uh, my plan is to use one hour to discuss it uh, because it is a complete open question uh, that I think can stimulate many interesting thoughts. Um, so, uh, Natalia, I think you, you, you hit all the important differences between membrane and the membrane-less organelles. Uh, so, for example, membrane organelles are usually generated from membrane organelles, uh, but membrane-free structures can be generated de novo from the cytoplasm. So, uh, their generation does not require uh, additional machinery 
which is needed uh, for the generation of membrane organelles, for example, the escort complex uh, for the membrane fission. Uh, and also membrane-free structures uh, can be quickly dissolved, uh, uh, which will allow a swift adaptation uh, to the environmental changes. The evolution question is always interesting uh, to think about. Um, so in bacteria, uh, we know like actually there are no uh, membrane organelles, but there are membrane-less condensates. Uh, therefore, uh, I think uh, it seems like the condensates uh, appear earlier than membrane organelles uh, during evolution. Uh, whether condensates uh, can lead to the emergence of membrane organelle, I think uh, uh, to answer that question, we still need more evidence. But actually, uh, recent studies suggested uh, in autophagy, um, actually uh, membranes can uh, wrap around cargo condensates to form matured autophagosomes. So I think uh, this might uh, provide a clue to understanding how the condensates can lead to the generation of membrane organelles. Very cool, very cool. Um, in the same section, uh, you guys reference an early study on the P granule, which is another type of phase condensate in C. elegans which had almost liquid-like properties where they could associate and dissociate spontaneously and they fell apart with almost any type of pressure. Um, does the liquid-like quality of phase condensates make them particularly difficult to study experimentally? Yes, I, I, I think so. Uh, uh, I think as Kira mentioned earlier, like uh, there's uh, a few challenges to study the, the liquid condensates. Uh, as compared to the traditional macromolecular complexes. Uh, so Kira mentioned, for example, it's actually very difficult to, to purify the liquid condensates because uh, they are liquid. So whenever we uh, isolate them uh, from the cellular environment, uh, they are likely to just disassemble, which uh, make it uh, uh, impossible to, let's say, if we want to identify the composition of a signaling uh, condensate. Uh, and I think, uh, so that's why uh, we need like new methods, uh, for example, uh, to, uh, if we can stabilize uh, these liquid condensates and so that we can purify them and identify their, their composition. Uh, another challenge is actually to obtain a high resolution uh, structure uh, of the liquid condensates. Uh, because of their liquid nature, uh, traditional uh, crystallography or cryo-EM, uh, these powerful methods cannot be applied. Um, so uh, I think, uh, how can we review the internal organization of the liquid condensates uh, in a dynamic perspective? This is like a still remain a, a critical questions. So we do need a uh, new breakthrough in the methodology um, to uh, so that we can uh, uh, characterize and understand the, the organization of these liquid condensates. Yeah, absolutely. So nowadays, these condensates, they have, there are all sorts and they go by all different names. We've got stress granules, pea bodies, nucleoli, cajal bodies, 
pro-myelocytic leukemia bodies, inclusion bodies, Negri bodies, you name it, we've got it. Uh, even splicing and autophagy occurs in little subcellular compartments, suggesting that the structure and organization of the cytoplasm is even more rich and complicated than scientists once believed. So let me hand it off to Eugenio to tell us more about 2D phase separation. Thank you, Natalie. So we know that phases can absolutely form on a so-called 2D surface like a plasma membrane. Signaling domains often have many key proteins and, and other molecules interacting together in groupings. Back in the 90s, the mechanism of a lipid graph model was first described to explain the clustering of these signaling domains. Dr. Shaoli, can you explain the lipid draft model and why it is controversial? Do you believe in it? Uh, I think this is a really good question. The lipid raft uh, model was uh, first proposed by Kai Seaman and colleagues. Uh, it described uh, these liquid mi lipid microdomains, uh, which are enriched in uh, cholesterol and sphingomyelin on the plasma membrane that can recruit signaling molecules. Uh, I think there are very nice in vitro data uh, supporting this model. Uh, but uh, on the other hand, uh, large lipid microdomains uh, have not been uh, convincingly demonstrated on the plasma membrane, so basically uh, in cells. Uh, only very short-lived nano-sized domains are observed in live cells. So therefore, uh, the lipid raft model uh, is, I think, insufficient to explain the micron-sized signaling condensates uh, formed uh, in the TCR and the other receptor pathways. Uh, even with uh, these controversy, uh, I think the lipid ref model uh, should still be uh, get the credit because uh, it firstly established the concept of special segregation uh, of signaling molecules on the plasma membrane. Currently, the field seem to converge on the perspective that uh, these like large uh, micron size signaling domains formation uh, is uh, not uh, only driven by these lipids. Instead, it is formed by a combination of protein-protein, protein-lipid, and lipid-lipid interactions. Thank you. Thank you for your question, doctor. And what we know now is that what proteins and lipids can help drive the clustering of each other in vitro and in vivo, suggesting that their interactions may be a reasonable explanation of phase separation. 3D and 2D structures may be similar in size, but 2D structures have some unique advantages that you can only get by assembling across a 2D surface. The yeah, the first I, one... I want to just interrupt a little bit here. When you said about lipid draft model, Imagine all the undergrads who are learning it right now in their classes that it is the end all be all. And after a few decades, it's going to be <laughs> maybe not all of it. Maybe there's more to it, or maybe somebody will completely rule it out as a possibility. Well, I, I, I think the, the concept of spatial segregation on the lipids, which is like uh, actually uh, the, the core of this lipid wrap model, uh, will hold true. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, so I, I can like name uh, an example where actually people do find these uh, micron-sized lipid microdomain, uh, which is uh, uh, 
on the east vacuum. Uh, so people do find these like micron size uh, domain, which is enriched of the lipids. So I, I think there, there's like always like exceptions like in biology. Uh, so far on the cell surface, uh, um, I haven't seen any like uh, uh, reports on these like big signaling domains. Um, but uh, I, I think like uh, they they can explain still explain the uh, the presence of these like smaller domains like these nano sized uh, domains. And so that has been actually uh, uh, reported. So uh, I, I think uh, the as every concept it will uh, evolve and also like uh, uh, be modified as we get more and more data. And I think the, the idea that uh, uh, the combination of protein lipid interactions that dri drive this domain formation uh, will probably like uh, uh, receive more and more support, ex uh, experimental uh, data supports uh, in the future. Yeah, that's the beauty of science. You start with a very basic hypothesis and then you slowly build on it until you have the hopefully the complete picture. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Make it like more comprehensive and uh, uh, also like uh, generalized to like different uh, type of cells and different uh, signaling pathways. So yes, uh, I was talking about what are the advantages of having a 2D surface for actually for signaling. And the first one will be that membranes force all proteins onto a 2D surface. So you can actually increase their interactions, thereby increasing their effective concentration and accelerating reactions. In fact, you need a much lower concentration of a protein in a 2D structure to do the same kind of a changes in a 3D structure. The second one will be lipids are small mobile and more numerous than proteins, which help to totally change the dynamic of how these molecules can interact with each other. The third one will be that cellular membranes are in fact a 3D structure with hills and valleys. They can bend to force molecules to interact with each other in a smaller space. Therefore, 2D structure, though seemingly quite similar to 3D structure, have their own rules and a structure that allow them to associate in unique ways. And now that we have defined what phase separation is and what types of phases we could find in the cell, let's talk about what is the mechanism of phase separation formation. As most of these granules are formed of proteins, there have been proposed two characteristics that drive liquid condensate formation. The first one is the presence of folded domains. And the second one is the presence of intrinsically disordered regions or IDRs. The first mechanism involves proteins containing folded domains. And with this, we meant protein having alpha helices or beta strand. The second mechanism involves IDRs that are protein regions that are usually do not, do not contain folded domains and that are generally unstructured. We can also find this region in the literature as low complexity domains or LCDs. LCDs can be identified by their sequence and some of, sometimes we can find overrepresentation of particular amino acids on it. In the contrary, the IDRs are more defined by their structure. So I, I think uh, here uh, it's actually, I like to uh, uh, chime in and uh, add something uh, saying about these low complexity domains or uh, intrinsically disordered region. Uh, so traditionally when people are talking about these IDRs or LCDs, uh, people like uh, think they are just junk. 
or like when you're trying to uh, solve the structure of a protein, usually these regions are cut it off uh, because uh, they are actually flexible, so they cannot really like get crystallized. Uh, but now actually, uh, as like uh, actually some of these ideas, not all ideas, uh, some of these ideas have been found uh, can uh, promote phase separation and uh, uh, to promote the formation of these liquid condensates. Uh, so they are actually uh, uh, become a, a, a focus of the research. So, so from the junk to the treasure, I think that's actually a very interesting uh, 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 observation. Um, it's the same thing like uh, I think uh, in, in analogy, uh, we think about in the genome, uh, traditionally, we only like focus on axons because they, uh, they are translated into protein. But now actually the majority of the genome are introns and then more and more studies are find that intron also play a very important role like in regulating transcription or, or other aspects of uh, DNA uh, 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 replication or, or transcription or uh, uh, repair. So I think uh, uh, this is uh, also a, a lesson that we learned like from these ideas and uh, uh, never overlook the, the importance of uh, seemingly like trash. Thank you. And Dr. Shirley, uh, in the text, you talk about the protein component. And can you expand a little bit more on the role of RNA on driving liquid-liquid phase separation? Any particular characteristic of the RNA for this to happen? Yes, um, I think um, if we look from uh, the chemical perspective of phase separation, uh, both RNAs and proteins can be viewed as uh, long polymers, uh, which bear multiple interaction sites uh, uh, that can bind to its uh, binding partners. So uh, these multivalent interactions between proteins and RNAs uh, can drive liquid-liquid phase separation. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, RNA is also uh, special uh, as compared to protein uh, because uh, RNA uh, have actually uh, many binding proteins uh, and these binding are usually uh, uh, not sequence specific. And therefore, uh, all the sites on uh, a long mRNA can interact uh, with its binding proteins. And moreover, RNA also have secondary structures, uh, which could affect its interaction with proteins and other RNAs. So I, I think the, the structural role of RNA in regulating condensate formation uh, has been increasingly appreciated. Thank you, and I think after reading your paper, we uh, we are now convinced that more more uh, we are now more than convinced that liquid-liquid phase separation is not a feature of a few proteins or rare circumstances. In fact, there are multiple situations where these structures are formed in multiple contexts and cell types, including our favorite compartment in this in, in this podcast, which is the immune compartment. Unfortunately for us, there are not many studies on the regulation of LLPS on the immune cells. One good model for studying liquid-liquid uh, phase separation is yeast because they are exposed to different environmental challenges. In fact, it has been demonstrated that upon high temperature or low pH, condensates can be formed to, pro to promote cell, cell survival. 
other factors that could trigger the formation of LLPS are redox mechanisms, post-transitional modification, including phosphorylation and hypomethylation. In contrast uh, to that, acetylation is a negative regulator of this process. And the list I imagine will go and will go on, and more and more research will shed light on the nature of liquid-liquid phase separation in multiple contexts. Finally, uh, Dr. Shirley, can you explain expand a little bit more on, on the challenge on of studying phase separation in the context of physiological process in vivo and in vitro? Yeah, sure. Um, I think the challenges uh, reside on how to ask good questions and use relevant in vitro assays to figure out the underlying mechanism. Uh, for example, uh, if, if a student uh, uh, comes to me and say, I want to determine whether my favorite protein A phase separates. So this might be a good question 10 years ago uh, when we knew very little about phase separation in biology. Um, but now, uh, as hundreds of proteins have been shown to phase separate into liquid condensates, uh, it becomes clear that phase separation is not a special feature of some proteins. Instead, uh, it is the basic properties of proteins. Uh, you can think about like uh, analogy to molecular weight or charge, which every protein had it. Uh, so I can also probably uh, make the same statement for phase separation, which is like every protein has the ability to phase separate. It just depends on what specific conditions it is. So that's why uh, I think it will be much more interesting to ask uh, under what conditions will phase separation occur. So it could be a, a chemical trigger like a pH change or a biological trigger uh, like when a, a cytokine uh, bind to the cells. So the pathological conditions might also be uh, another uh, interesting uh, aspect to to consider in terms of the biological relevant triggers. For example, uh, in the tumor microenvironment, uh, T cells are experiencing uh, low pH, uh, low oxygen, poor nutrients, and also a lot of inhibitory uh, signaling ligands, uh, including the, the very famous PDL1. So, how do these uh, different factors? affect signaling condensate formation and the T-cell activation? I think these are like fascinating questions. Thank you. And so I think we could move on with the discussion with Jatin. Can you tell us about what are the functional consequences of having these condensates in the cell? Thanks a lot, Eugenio. And before I start with this, I've been holding it in for too long, so I've got to say it. <laughs> when you said IRDH <laughs> were considered trash, but no longer. So it, it's so motivational that you may be considered trash today but a decade later, people will look up to you. <laughs> Same for junk DNA. I think Muhammad Ali said, if they can make uh, penicillin out of moldy bread, they can make something out of you. So <laughs> inspiration for all of us. That is it for the first part of phase separation episode. Tune in next week for the second part where we talk about the role of phase separation, particularly in immune signaling.